0: morning. I'm glad you can join us this morning. Let's pray and we'll jump into God's Word. Father God, we come to you today and I thank you for these good words. I pray that you will bless the reading of these words. Help our hearts to be open to you and our minds to be open to you, dear Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, can convict us, help us to see areas in our life maybe that we need to change some things and repent and seek you. And I pray that you'll be glorified through the reading of these words. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, we are going to be continuing in the book of Daniel. We've been looking at several different stories of Scripture. And this morning, we're going to see another good story, a story that maybe we're not quite as familiar with as the story we looked at last week with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or the story that we will probably look at next week with Daniel in the lion's den. But tucked in between those two stories is the story of the king of Babylon, a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar now a little background that got us up to this point God's people Judah uh, had been disobedient to the Lord and as a result God had sent enemies in to overtake them those enemies were the Babylonians and uh, last week's story we saw that there were uh, some of these uh, people from Judah that the king had had brought to serve in his court now King Nebuchadnezzar is an interesting character, a character who doesn't seem to really deny that the God of Israel exists, but he doesn't, at least up to this point, hasn't really trusted him or followed him or given him the glory for all that's done. King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, they uh, seek many gods. They follow many gods. We see uh, some of uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's goodness, if we can call it that, in the story of Jeremiah. Jeremiah had prophesied to the people of Judah about what was coming because of their disobedience. Now, the people didn't like Jeremiah and what he had to say. But when the king came, when King uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar had come to overtake Judah, he said, hey, look, take good care of Jeremiah. Make sure that he's taken care of. Now, I'm paraphrasing there. You can read that yourself in the book of Jeremiah. But he was kind to Jeremiah even in that time. Now, a few of the people of Judah were able to stay in Jerusalem. But some were taken back to Babylon. Now, of those that were taken back, there are four that we really know a lot about. Uh, and that is Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, these were godly men. And earlier in the book, we had looked at a dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had had. And none of the king's men were able to interpret the dream. But Daniel was. God had revealed the mystery of the dream to Daniel. Uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had prayed that the Lord would reveal this dream, and he did, and Daniel was able to go before King Nebuchadnezzar, tell him the dream, make sure to tell him that, look, the revelation of this dream comes from God and not from me, so all glory be to God. He revealed the dream to Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar was so pleased with Daniel. He put him to rule over the province of Babylon, and Daniel requested for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to also have a positions of power in Babylon, and they were granted to them. So King Nebuchadnezzar at this point, at least in the first dream, was uh, he knew who God was. Now he probably knew of the God of Israel, Judah, before that, but he, he kind of experienced God firsthand in the revelation of this dream. Now, in the story last week, we saw that the king had, had made this huge statue, 90 foot tall, that he had, had stood up for all of the officials of his to come and bow down and worship it. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, being godly men, refused to bow down and worship the king's statue. They said, look, king, we don't care about your statue. We're going to worship the Lord. And the Lord that we trust, the God that we trust, is able to deliver us from the consequences of not bowing to you. Now, the consequences of not bowing to King Nebuchadnezzar's statue were that anyone who didn't do that was to be thrown into a fiery furnace. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, it doesn't matter. The God we serve can deliver us from the fiery furnace, and even if he doesn't, even if the God we serve doesn't deliver us from the furnace, we will never bow and worship you. So the king was outraged and had thrown him into the fiery furnace, but God was with them, And God delivered them and there was another in the fire, perhaps Jesus pre-incarnate or God himself or an angel of the Lord that the king saw. King Nebuchadnezzar saw and said, wait a minute, we had thrown three into the fire, but look, there's four. And they come out and not a a hair on their head was singed. Their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. And King Nebuchadnezzar said, all right. The God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, let's give him glory. And if anybody, doesn't, uh, if anybody says anything bad about the, their God, then they should be torn limb from limb. And so King Nebuchadnezzar had had some exposure to the power of God. But as I said, the Babylonians worshipped many gods. But in the story we're going to look at today in Daniel chapter 4, we're going to see that God is really going to have a powerful impact in King Nebuchadnezzar's life. In Daniel chapter 4, we'll read verses 1 through 3 before we get into the story. Daniel 4, chapter 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to those of every people, nation, and language who live in all the earth, may your prosperity increase. I am pleased to tell you about the miracles and wonders the Most High God has done for me. How great are His miracles and how mighty His wonders. His kingdom as an eternal kingdom. And his dominion is from generation to generation. Now, here the king, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, is really praising the Lord for his greatness and what he has done for him. Now, there's a couple of ways we can look at this introduction here that we see. One, the king could be talking about the events that we read last at the end of chapter 3, where he saw the power of God through the fiery furnace incident. Uh, He could be praising God for what he saw there, or it could be that he's preparing us for the story he's about to tell us. Look, I have experienced God. I have seen his greatness. To him be all the glory. Now, let me tell you why. And I believe that that may be the case, that he's telling us that he's experienced God's glory, and now he's going to tell us why he's experienced God's glory and how he's come to know God's power. Now, in the following verses, he proceeds to tell us the story that took place. He said, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I was in my bed, I was sleeping, and I had a dream. But I didn't know what the dream meant. And so the king had sent for all of, his, all, of his, uh, all of his court, his officials, that he, that he would seek for wisdom, all of his wise men. And the scripture said that this group consisted of the diviner priests, the mediums, and the astrologers. Now, this is an interesting group a group that I would consider to be a a group of evil people who are seeking their guidance from an evil place. Now, we even see these very same things in our world today. Now, it talks about the diviner priest or the diviners, and uh, one of the best examples maybe of that is in Hosea, where God is saying, look, my people have abandoned me. They're following an evil spirit. They're following their divining rods, their rods of divination. Uh, that's the same word that we see here, diviner priest, and all uh, uh, the divination, the divining rods, that all goes together. Even now, sometimes today, you may see people using divining rods, a piece of wood or some kind of uh, something they're holding, and they walk around looking for metal or water in the ground and supposedly the, the, the stick will point downward or twist in the direction of whatever they're looking for and they're holding it and they're going around. Well, that is not of God. We see that clearly in the book of Hosea. Even sometimes I have seen Christians who are using divining rods. Uh, When we are seeking the direction that a piece of wood is going to point us, then we're probably not seeking uh, what the Lord wants. And you may say, well, where's the harm in that? Well, the harm in that is that, as we see in Hosea, those are evil things. Those are not from a spirit of God. At the very least, you're just foolish out there holding a stick. But at the very worst, maybe you're opening the door for the devil to begin to work and an evil spirit to come in so that you begin to trust these types of things instead of the Lord. Perhaps the Ouija board would fall into that category and you say, oh, that's just a toy. Well, maybe it is just a toy, but the problem is not in the toy. The problem is in our heart. When we open our heart to seek uh, guidance from some source other than God, well, guess what? We're going to be influenced by an evil source that's not going to point us to the Lord. So we must be careful in those types of things. And this is the type of people that the king was seeking advice from the diviner priest and the mediums. Perhaps you've heard the term medium a lot here lately because I see commercials for these shows about mediums or psychics. Those two things kind of go together. The psychics that tell you the future. So it's revealed to them. They're going to tell you what you want to know, how you can be healthy and how you can be wealthy. Or the medium, the one who consults from the dead. Sometimes psychics and mediums, uh, one person may hold both of those uh, uh, uh we can call it gifts for lack of a better word, but it's not a gift at all, it's of the devil. Uh, but they, they hold these, uh, these powers that they would say, where well, they can communicate with the dead, that's what mediums do, uh, and they're able to tell you where your loved one is and how they're doing in these messages they want you to hear. Now, the very, at, the very, uh, at the very best, these people are just frauds. They're lying, they're making this stuff up, and they know they're not talking to any kind of person from the dead. Uh, at the very worst though these people are hearing from someone from something but it's not from the lord and it's not from their dead loved ones it's from an evil spirit it's from the devil these types of things are from the devil and these are the ones who the king was seeking the diviners the mediums and the astrologers now an astrologer is somebody who looks at the stars to see what the stars is going to tell them and guide them in life to let them know what decisions to make or what to do or what's going to happen. Well, that too is not of God, that is of the devil. Now, you may say, well, I don't I don't do anything with astrology. Well, perhaps you do. Maybe you've heard of horoscopes before. Uh, you have all of these different categories that you fall into depending on where you were born and you look in the paper and your horoscope says, oh, you're gonna have a good fortune today, something good's gonna happen to you after lunch or some junk that's made up, that's not of God, that's evil. These are the ones whom the king had called on, the diviners, the mediums, the astrologers, people who were not seeking God, people who didn't have any power whatsoever. And that was fairly obvious because the king called them and they came before the king and they couldn't reveal these things to the king. Now we need to learn from what the king did here. He was seeking ungodly people, people who were involved in evil things, for guidance to what was going on in his life. Well, we don't need to fall into that same mistake. We don't need to seek things that are not God and of God to guide us. We need to seek the Lord and seek his word to be guidance in our life. The king was seeking the wrong people for guidance in his life. He was not seeking the Lord at all. Well, these men that he had called could not tell him anything. So he said, let me send for Daniel. Obviously, he remembered Daniel in the way that Daniel had revealed the previous dream to him so he sent for Daniel and he said look Daniel I've had this dream I need you to reveal it to me because I know you have the spirit of the gods within you now he said spirit of the gods now obviously as we've talked about the Babylonians believed in gods, and Yahweh the God of Israel uh, was just one of those gods uh, but he, he knew that there was something different about Daniel there was something that was different about him than all of these diviners and mediums and astrologers that were in his court. The difference was Daniel had the power of God in his life. Daniel was a godly man who seeked the Lord. So the king called for Daniel and the king said, Look, Daniel, I need you to tell me this dream. And the king proceeded to tell Daniel what the dream was. He said, I was was in my palace and I was sleeping and I had this dream. And in this dream, I saw this tree that was huge. It was a mighty tree that stretched tall into the sky. So tall that everybody in the world could see it. All over the whole earth, everyone could look to the tree and its greatness. And it had big long branches that stretched out and leaves on those branches. And the tree produced fruit for all in the land to eat. And the animals would come and find shelter in the tree. And the birds would nest on the branches of the tree. He said, but then I saw one coming from heaven. Who said, chop the tree down. Strip the tree of its branches. Strip it of its leaves. Let the animals in the tree flee from the tree. So that all that remains is a stump. But leave the stump and leave its roots. Leave the stump and leave its roots. So that all people may know that God is in control. That God is all powerful. That God appoints people to power. And he can appoint whoever he wants, even the lowest people, so that all the people will see this and give glory to God. Now, when the king told the dream to Daniel, Daniel was alarmed at what he had just heard. And the king said, but Daniel, tell me what this means. Whatever it is, Daniel, tell me what what this dream means. And Daniel said, the tree that you saw in your dream, king, that tree represents you and your kingdom. You are strong, and you are mighty, and you are powerful. Nations, look to you. You are a wealthy and powerful kingdom. He said, but the one you saw from heaven who come down and said, chop the tree. He said, that tree is you, and you're going to be chopped down. And only a stump's going to remain. You're not going to die, but you're going to lose your kingdom.'" And not only that, King, but you're going to lose your sanity. You're going to lose your power. You're going to wander around like animals for seven periods of time, he said. You're going to do all this until you recognize that God is in control. That God is all-powerful. Until you give God glory. Until you recognize that he puts those into power who are in power. And he can put anybody he wants there. Until you recognize that, you will be like an animal in the field. The dream had been revealed to Nebuchadnezzar, and he went on about his way. Well, the scripture says about a year had passed. And one day, King Nebuchadnezzar was walking around his palace, and he was admiring all the beauty that was in the land of Babylon. And boy, it was a beautiful place. And he looked out upon that beauty and upon that kingdom that he was king of, and he began to say, Oh, look at what I have done. I have created this wonderful kingdom. By my power, these things have been done. Oh, by my glory, this kingdom is what it is. And the scripture says, while the words were still in his mouth, a voice came to him from heaven. A voice came to him and said, look, the time has come, the sentence has been passed. And just as the vision had been revealed to Daniel, so it occurred. The king lost his mind. He lost his sanity. He was stripped from his kingdom. He lost his power. His people abandoned him. And he was in the the grass of the field, it said. And the dew of the sky would fall on him. And he would eat the grass of the field like a wild animal. And his sanity had left him. And as Daniel said, this occurred for seven periods of time. Now we don't know how long seven periods of time is. Perhaps seven weeks, seven months, seven years. But I tend to think it's probably seven years because it says, in this time that the king was like a wild animal, it said his hair grew and was like the feathers of an eagle and his claws like the claws of a bird. I believe it would probably take some time for your hair to be as long and as flowing to look like that of an eagle and probably take a long time for your fingernails to get long enough that you would uh, consider them to be like claws of a bird and the king had lost his mind he was like an animal of the field all of his power everything that he thought he had done was taken from him now let's read his response further on at the end of the book daniel chapter 4 daniel chapter 4 verse 4 uh, 34 excuse me here's the king's response after he had experienced this time of insanity Verse 34. But at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven, and my sanity returned to me. Then I praised the Most High and honored and glorified Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and He does what He wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There was no one who, there's no one who can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At that time, my sanity returned to me and my majesty and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and my nobles sought me out. I was reestablished over my kingdom and even more greatness came to me. Now listen to this last verse here. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the King of heaven. Because all his works are true and his ways are just. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. Now the king had gone through this time of insanity until he recognized the power and the glory of God. Until he recognized that God was in control, until he called out to the Lord and said, God, you are almighty and you are all powerful. And I was proud in my ways and what I thought and I thought about what I could do and what I had done and what I had accomplished. But God, it is you who have accomplished things. It is you who are in control. It is you who have the power to do all things. God, I glorify you. I exalt you. And God, you are even able to humble those who walk in pride. Now this is a good good lesson for us. Because there are times that we may be tempted to walk in pride. There are times that we may be like King Nebuchadnezzar and we may think too highly, Of ourselves and what we have done and what we can do. And we boast in our glory. But there is no boasting to be done for what we can do or have done. Because anything that we can do or have done is because of God. Anything that we have is because of God. And if there is any boasting to be done, it is to boast in the glory of the Lord. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar learned this lesson the hard way. And the proverb says that pride comes before a fall. And how often that's the case. It was the case for King Nebuchadnezzar. And sometimes it's the case for us. My wife and I were watching a cooking show last night and there were some great uh, bakers on there. And these people who were on there were sugar artists. They were making these great uh, sculptures and things out of sugar. And they were beautiful, but there was one man on the show. they had about three hours to make their sugar sculptures in this competition, and one of the men oh, he wasn't too. He wasn't too worried about the competition. Why? Because he was the best. And he was telling you he was the best too. He wasn't rushing to get to work, he was taking his time, he was drinking his coffee, he was talking down to the rest of the competitors, telling them how bad their things looked and how much better he was than them, and oh, he was so good and there was no way he was going to lose, and his work was just phenomenal. Even the things that he messed up was better than the other work of the people. There were four competitors in the competition. Guess who finished four? That man who could not be beaten, that man who was so proud, who thought he had it all under control, he learned the hard way that he was not as good as he thought. King Nebuchadnezzar learned the hard way that he was not as good as he thought. And sometimes you and I have to learn the hard way that we are not as good as we think. But I hope today you'll see these words, you'll listen to these words, and you won't have to learn that lesson the hard way that you'll repent of your pride so that that fall doesn't have to occur and we don't have to experience things like that of Nebuchadnezzar. <clears throat> we need to be on guard because those temptations to be proud are always going to come. you probably experience those temptations and things that we do, good things sometimes, things that we do with the right heart, even those things the devil can come at us And he can tempt us with pride. We do a good work. We're talented in some way. And the devil comes before us in our mind and thinks, boy, look how good you are. Who else could have done that good that you did? And sometimes we give in to that temptation. And we think, yeah, who is better than me? Who could be better than me? Who could play an instrument better than me? Who can sing better than me? Who can preach better than me? Who can cook better than me? Who looks better than me? Who's smarter than me? I am pretty good. It's a harder worker than me. Where would this church be without me? Where would my job be without me? What can my friends do without me? Because I am so good at these things. Now that temptation may come. and Sometimes we may give in to it. think we are a little better than we actually are now because the temptation comes doesn't mean that you're proud because he tries to tempt you with that doesn't mean that you're proud but if you begin to give in to those temptations and those thoughts and you begin to say yeah I'm pretty good it's better than me the moment we begin to give in to those temptations and entertain those thoughts is the moment that pride comes into our mind now, maybe some of you are walking in pride today and you're convicted of that. But well, you need to repent. It's better for us to humble ourselves and repent of our pride by being convicted by God's word than to have to learn it the hard way. But there are probably some times like that guy we saw on the cooking challenge that we've had to learn the hard way, that our pride has gotten our way and we thought we were unstoppable and unbeatable, only to fall. Just as King Nebuchadnezzar learned the hard way. He thought he was all good. He thought he was all powerful. He thought he was in control. Until the Lord humbled him. Now brothers and sisters in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus today, I want you to know that God calls you to be humble. It's all throughout Scripture. God calls those who are his to be humble. To not think too highly of, themse- of themselves, but to, but to bring glory to God. But to recognize that everything good that happens, every power, every strength that we had, anything that we have, comes from the Lord. And when we humble ourselves and give Him the glory for that, what a beautiful thing that humility is. People are drawn to humility. Even men don't be proud. We can sometimes be proud in our humility that, oh, look how humble I am. We must be on guard because pride is always trying to attack us. Pride is not an attractive quality. We're not going to draw anyone to Jesus Christ if we're proud. But if we're humble and follow the example of Jesus Christ, people will be drawn to that. Because humility comes from Jesus Christ. Because Jesus gives us the ultimate example of humility and shows us what humility is. He doesn't just tell us what humility is. He shows us by the way that he lived his life. If there was ever anyone who walked the earth, who had all power, who could say, I am the greatest, who could have done anything, it was Jesus. He's the only one who has ever walked the earth who could have said that. But yet, even though he had all power... He lived his life in all humility. The very Son of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, before he died as he was eating with his disciples, got a bowl of water and he bent down and he began to wash the nasty, dirty feet of human beings. The Son of God, in the flesh, humbling himself to the dirtiest, nastiest job that there was. <clears throat> I want to tell you, brothers and sisters in Christ, and I want you to listen to this, and I want you to listen to it good. There is no job of service that you and I can do that is below us. There is nothing that we are too good for. There is nothing that we are above. There is nothing that we can say, Oh, I'm not doing that. Because Jesus Christ himself gave us the ultimate example to show us what it means to be lowly and humble and a servant to all. There's nothing in this world that we are too good for, brothers and sisters in Christ. There are things that God may call us to that are not easy that are dirty, that are nasty, that are scary, that are hard. But it's nothing that Jesus Christ has not already given, given us an example to follow. What humility for the Son of God to wash the nasty, dirty feet of human sinners. But even still, that's not the most beautiful example of humility that Christ Jesus gave us. Even though Christ was the Son of God, Philippians 2 tells us that even though he was equal to God, he did not consider his equality to be something to be used for his own gain, but instead he humbled himself, he gave up his power, and humbled himself, becoming obedient even to death on a cross. What humility for the Son of God to say, I'm going to suffer and give my life for sinners. Brothers and sisters, that's the humility that we are to live by. Maybe you're watching this and you're not following Jesus Christ. Maybe you're following your pride. Well, be warned. Be warned. Because after pride is going to come a fall. It always does. And that's scary to think about. Because there are probably times in all of our lives when we are proud. But wouldn't it be better if we humbled ourselves today? If we learned from Nebuchadnezzar, if we learn even more so from Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Savior, who humbled himself to death on a cross, wouldn't it be better if we learn humility today and repent and seek him today than walk out today in our pride and fall tomorrow in it? Wouldn't it be better to seek the Lord today and to repent today? Wouldn't it be better to humble ourselves because we are convicted by the Word of God than to be humbled by the fall that comes from our pride? I don't know anybody's heart. But I know the devil will tempt us with pride. And sometimes we'll give in to those temptations. But it's better that we repent. It's better that we humble ourselves willingly And to experience what Nebuchadnezzar experienced. And be humbled by the Lord the hard way. Perhaps some of us have already experienced those humble times, those humbling experiences. Maybe today you're convicted. You see pride in your life that shouldn't be there. Well, today repent. Don't walk out of here proud. Walk out of here restored, redeemed, and forgiven. Maybe there's some of you that you're still walking in your pride. I want to tell you what, you're going to fall. And when you fall, maybe you'll remember these words. When you fall, maybe you'll remember that Jesus is there to pick you up. But even more than that, I hope today you don't have to fall. I hope today you realize, you know what, Lord Jesus, I want to follow you. I'm tired of following my own way, my own strength, my own ability. But Lord Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put my faith in you. I'm going to look at your humility and what you exhibited by giving your life on the cross so that I could be forgiven. And Lord Jesus, I'm going to humbly come before you. I'm going to seek your forgiveness. I'm going to seek your love. And Lord Jesus, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to be baptized by you. And I'm going to put my faith in you just as you commanded me to do. There are some of you walking in pride today. I pray that you humble yourself before the Lord whether you're his or whether you're not his. If you're his, I pray that you'll repent and walk humbly in his example. If you're not his, I pray that you'll repent and follow his example and put your faith in it. Because as Nebuchadnezzar said, God is even able to humble the proud. And wouldn't it be great if we humble ourselves before the Lord today? Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning. I thank you for these good words, and I pray that you'd bless the reading of these words. I pray that you would help us to tuck them away in our hearts and we remember them. I pray that you would forgive my pride. I pray that you would help us all to be humble, dear Lord, and to seek you and not to have false humility. Not to boast in our own abilities, but to boast in you and what you've given us and what you've blessed us with. And God, I thank you for these words. I pray that you would help us to avoid those temptations and to be proud. I pray that you would help those who are living in their pride that haven't followed Jesus today, that they would. That they would humble themselves before Jesus they would come to Him for forgiveness and accept the humility of His death on the cross. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's service. To learn more about Jesus, call or text Pastor Shan at 601-657-0180 or email him at shanvn at me.com. You can also visit us at www.enterprisebaptist.church. Or follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash EBC Liberty. We hope that you have been blessed by today's service.